At the University of Arizona Bio5 Institute, we are focused on tackling complex challenges such as disease, hunger, water and food safety, and other health and environmental issues facing our families, communities, and the world. Bio5 brings together hundreds of multifaceted experts that include world-class scientists, engineers, physicians, and computational researchers in a team science environment designed to creatively solve difficult problems. This approach has resulted in disease prevention strategies, promising new therapies, innovative diagnostics and devices, and improved food crops. Join us each week as we talk about science with researchers, staff, and students from the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute. Hello, welcome to another episode of Science Talks, a conversation hosted by the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute. My name is Brooke Moreno. And I'm Dr. Brittany Ulorn. At the Bio5 Institute, our researchers are working to answer the biggest questions about our changing environment. Today, we're joined by Dr. Laura Meredith, assistant professor of several disciplines, including ecosystem genomics, genetics, global change, and hydrology and atmospheric sciences. Dr. Meredith is an interdisciplinary scientist working at the intersection of environmental microbiology and atmospheric chemistry. A lot of words in there. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today, Dr. Meredith. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm so excited to see you and have you with us. Definitely. So Dr. Meredith, um, your research group investigates microbial drivers of soil atmospheric trace gas fluxes. Um, so I want to break that down a bit for our listeners, because like Brooke said, there's a lot of big words there. Um, so what kind of microbes are we talking about and what exactly are trace gas fluxes? Mm -hmm. um, so microbes are everywhere. We hear more and more about how they're in our own bodies, our microbiomes that um, carry out so many important functions for us in terms of health and um, well-being. And likewise, there are a lot of microbiomes in the environment. And I'm particularly interested in the microbiomes um, in soil. And in soil, there are just thousands, hundreds of thousands of different types of microbes. Um, and in a gram of soil, there's estimated to be a billion microbial cells. So just teeming with microbial life. Um, and so I'm interested in who's there. So you could put a name to different microbial species like we have for animals, right? Like an elephant or a zebra or something. And so, you know, we have a long history of doing that um, in microbiology. Um, but one of the important ways that I study microbes and one important way to think about them is what they can do. And so a lot of my work is thinking about what kind of tools do they have in their little microbial toolkit? Can they eat certain types of carbon? Do they produce greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide or methane? Um, do they interact with plants and help the plants um, acquire nutrients and be healthy in the environment? You know, or are they involved in some more antagonistic um, interactions with each other? Um, so in terms of which microbes I study, it's typically what they do. And that relates to the trace gases. So my background is actually in chemistry and in atmospheric chemistry. And I was really interested in the different gases that make up our atmosphere and especially those gases that are found in really minute or trace amounts. So those are trace gases, basically everything besides oxygen, nitrogen, and water. Um, and so those gases, even though they're found in small levels like parts per thousand or parts per million or parts per billion or even less, um, they are really important in interacting with radiation and trapping heat or 
helping produce um, like uh, cloud forming um, particles or um, in participating in chemistry that um, causes air pollution. So we're really interested in these trace gases in the atmosphere. And I was, you know, really fascinated to find out that microbes um, produce a lot of them. And, and in many cases, they're a strong source of these trace gases to the atmosphere. And then on the other hand, other microbes have evolved ways to eat them and consume them and remove them from our atmosphere. And so those are the types of um, key characteristics of microbes that I'm interested in understanding. Ooh, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. And you know what? It's a lot. And like you said, kind of interdisciplinary. You hear about microbes a lot, the microbiome recently. Um, but the way you're focusing on them, that's a really unique approach to, to studying and understanding microbial interactions. How, how did you get to that, to that specific area? Yeah, I, well, I did start out in atmospheric chemistry and, and, you know, atmospheric dynamics and really thinking about it in a different way. But when I, when I looked at the atmospheric composition, we um, would often read papers that say, here's the gas in the atmosphere, here's carbon dioxide, what produces it, what consumes it, where does it come from, where does it go? Same thing for methane, nitrous oxide. I even in my PhD studied hydrogen, which is H2. And in so many of these, what we call atmospheric budgets, when you look at the components of that budget, microbes make up a big component or soils do, you know, microbes in soils. And um, I just found that really fascinating. So I started getting interested in atmospheric hydrogen, um, which is what we call an indirect greenhouse gas. It, it just interacts in the atmospheric chemistry. And it turned out some recent studies uh, at the time had said, had, had done some types of analyses to estimate how big the soil sink was. So about 80% of all hydrogen that's removed from the atmosphere every year is because of microbes. So microbes will use it like little fuel cells. They eat it for energy, um, but they're, they're influencing like 80% of what happens to hydrogen in the atmosphere. So I just thought that that was incredible that the smallest microbial life could have such a big impact on atmosphere, atmospheric composition. So I wanted to know more. I wanted to know, you know, how do we study microbes? How do we link these large atmospheric processes to this, you know, small life in this really complex soil environment? So I just wanted to, to learn more and figure out what kinds of sciences I need to learn to, to answer those questions. That is fascinating. I know how Brooke was saying earlier, you know, we hear a lot about microbes and um, I know myself having worked on a virus in my PhD, I think about microbes in terms of causing disease or being involved in human health. So I think it's incredible how they are so involved in the atmosphere um, and these gases. And so I can completely see why you were intrigued and why you've continued um, to study these things. I know when, right before we hopped on this conversation, we were talking about how you will be going to a field site later this afternoon. Um, and I know this summer, well, it's basically the summer now, you will be traveling to Alaska. Um, so what are some of the most fascinating places that you've traveled to um, collect these samples? Yeah, I've been really fortunate um, through um, short courses, like summer courses when I was a graduate student to have traveled to a lot of places. Um, and then in my work, traveled to a lot of places for field work. So um, I, one of the most interesting places I went was to Siberia um, through this field course where we were learning about Arctic science. Um, and we went out to this really, really remote station called Chersky where they have an um, a science station out there and they're really watching the permafrost 
you know, evolve with, with their own eyes and um, really, you know, intimately in that type of ecosystem and understanding these massive reservoirs of carbon in the northern latitudes and how they're changing. And, you know, it was just really amazing to be there, to hear the stories of people who had lived there and see things changing, to learn more about the way of life of people who live um, there wow. and, and think about that in the context of um, global change solutions. Um, yeah, so that that was a really um, a really interesting, informative experience. Um, and I've been to Brazil for some of my postdoc work and looking in the Amazon at methane cycling. So that was really uh, fascinating. And yeah, this this summer we'll be going up to Alaska. Um, and also I uh, have a, a research site here um, that we're now participating in, in, in an agricultural system between Phoenix and Tucson, the Maricopa Agricultural Center. So we've been really excited to also be doing field work in our own backyards and learning more about um, interactions between agriculture in arid lands and nitrogen cycling and how microbes are competing with plants or maybe cooperating with plants to help them get the nitrogen from, from fertilizers when we apply them. And, and so what makes, what makes uh, the whole system more efficient with their use of nitrogen or, or inefficient? That's, oh gosh, I, I studied the wrong thing in college. <laughs> I know, I never got to travel for my research. I love this. <laughs> not that, I, you know, not that I'd be overjoyous to, you know, be out in the middle of Siberia, but still it'd be an experience, right? I'm a little desert rat. <laughs> but that said, that's got to require a ton of collaboration and your work has such broad impacts for general understanding of, of climate science, of environmental science. How do you decide the, the sites that you choose to do your field work in? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, we, I don't, I guess there are a lot of different field sites that are available to us through University of Arizona. There's this big experimental agricultural station. So what, for instance, going to Maricopa, it's such a unique, unique infrastructure with this overhead gantry that basically scans and studies the crops from above. And so it was a really perfect complement for us to put these soil probes we've developed um, for sampling the soil gases below ground below and really look at both the above and below together. Oh, that's um, and so that that is just like a nice compliment in a place that we can ask unique questions. Um, I've done a lot of research at Biosphere 2 where we have these large controlled and enclosed ecosystems like a tropical rainforest under glass and that allowed us to control run a controlled drought um, and be ready with all of our instrumentation to to really capture the whole ecosystem response to drought. And so again, that's another piece of uh, research infrastructure that's really unique that we could ask specific questions with. Um, and then for um, going to Alaska, that you know we we recognize that there are some key uncertainties in our understanding of carbon cycling up there, and in particular, we're looking at the role of soil and soil microbes um, in our in our understanding of carbon cycling and some of the tools we use for for studying the carbon cycle. Um, and so it just felt like a really natural you know uh, complement to go up there and design a study where we know that there's this big question that's really important to those systems. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's kind of on a case-by-case -case basis. We just really try to match where our biggest unknowns are and what types of um, tools we have at our disposal, disposal and where we can answer unique questions in different locations. Wow. Fascinating. 
Um, so I know you were also recently awarded the prestigious career award mm-hmm. uh, from the National Science Foundation mm-hmm. for the NSF. So over the next five years, you'll receive um, three quarters of a million dollars to further investigate how plants and microbes interact. Um, but you'll also use some of that money to open additional opportunities to students, um, both within your own research and through a new internship program that'll allow undergraduates to conduct research with industry partners over the summer. So this is huge. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So, yeah. Tell us a bit about what this award means to you and why it was important to use some of this funding to create this internship program for uh, University of Arizona undergrads. Yeah. So the, um, the award, it means a lot to me. It's five years of support to, for me to really embark on a new research vein, you know, within my group. And so it's, I guess, unique in the sense that I develop the ideas for the proposal and the work all on my own and that it's really the direction I go. We often write proposals with colleagues and that's also really fun and productive to have co-PIs and collaborators but in this case it's really just centered on what I want to do so um, I'm really interested in the role of um, hundreds of different volatile organic compounds so they're basically gases that are organic types of gases and we can measure many of them at once with these instrument types of instrumentation and we know that plants produce them, microbes produce them, microbes consume them. So it's it's a, sort of a new vein for me that really opens up to even more trace gases. So I'm really enthusiastic about the work and just having that support to, to pursue a new, a new line of research. Um, and in my own experience, when I was an undergraduate, I was a chemistry um, major and I was uh, in a concentration on polymer chemistry. So I was uh, looking at Polymers are chemistry, you know, we use them for paint and coatings and other types of industrial applications. And for that, I was a, I was an undergraduate at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And uh, they required getting an internship. The motto there is uh, learn by doing, very hands-on. And so I had been studying German and really wanted to um, to do, you know, go to Germany if I could. And I was able to get an internship at BASF, which is this really big uh, chemical company in Germany. Um, and it was just a fascinating experience for me to be in an industry setting, kind of get that experience in, in a professional setting and really see what a work environment is like in my, you know, in my field of study. Um, and it was formative in some of the ways I do work and, you know, think about science, but it also, I think, helped me see that I was really interested in academic research and maybe not, um, not as much for industry at the time. Um, but it was it was just a great experience for me to understand what was out there and then make a decision in the next step of my career. Um, and now I work with a lot of colleagues in industry. I work with a couple companies um, in the Northeast, Aerodyne Research, Quant AQ, and they, they develop um, atmospheric monitors, instruments, sensors. Uh, and it's been just a really um, productive relationship, a lot of fun to work with these colleagues in industry. And, and kind of learn more about their perspectives. We have a lot of um, goals in common. We have some different different types of goals. And um, I really like seeing the type of jobs they have. And I can see myself, you know, I would have loved those industry jobs as well, actually, in that, in that field of study. So I'm excited about providing um, undergraduates just that view into what's possible in terms of careers um, in this industry, or maybe they look at that and make the decision I did that I, I really did want to keep going to school and, and pursue this career in academia. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, 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 to be able to, to guide some students in that hands-on learning. 
Aww. Well, I'll be the first to applaud you <laughs> in your mentoring, um, not just because you partner with the Keys program and take on our students and mentor them through their internships, but I think that's a testament that you're using your platform to, to keep the ladder going, to bring people up with you. And, and, you know, mentoring takes time, talent, and treasure. So we appreciate your investment in students and helping them achieve their dreams and follow their passions as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think um, I learned a lot, you know, also working with students and mentoring them. And yeah, I think they continually, you know, feedback on that feeling of just how fun research is and um, all the parts of it, even the parts that don't seem that glorious over time, like that everything, yeah, that there's so many wonderful things we do in research. Absolutely. Wait, so you're saying there's value in reading research papers? Oh yeah, yeah. I hope so. I've <laughs> yeah, made a yeah. career out of it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I want to talk a bit more about your journey into STEM. So I know you're talking about how you know you're using your experiences both within industry and academia to help mentor others, um, and you've clearly had a lot of success, especially with this career award. But I'm curious, as a woman in STEM. Um, have you encountered any major difficulties or barriers in your journey to getting you where you are today? Um, and if so, what were some of those things or people that were instrumental in helping you um, chase your dreams? Yeah, I think, you know, earlier on in my studies as, a as an undergraduate and even a graduate student, I think I didn't really think about the barriers to being a woman in STEM at all. Um, it was really just later, maybe later as a graduate student, and then I was a postdoc and faculty member that you kind of do, you know, you start to just see some of the more subtle things, which in one, on one hand, I'm really thankful for all of the women that have gone, um, although I'm thankful for all the women who have gone before me who have made it that some of the more obvious types of uh, discrimination or obvious barriers are, are have been, you know, broken through, but um, it can often just be hard to look ahead to, um, you know, full professors or professors and just see that the numbers aren't equal, you know, to really be in a room and, and not see as much representation, uh, not equal representation as I did when I was a, an undergraduate and a graduate student. Um, and then to sort of think about why that is, or even with my own peer group, just start to see how there's disproportionate numbers of um, you know, not women or, or I guess, you know, certain people are advancing at, at different rates than others. Um, in some ways, I, I use that as a motivation. I saw some of my peers getting uh, landing jobs before me, and I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm just as capable. <laughs> like, I should, you know, one reason to stay in academia, too, is I really felt like I, I could be, um, I could be successful and capable at all the parts of the job. And so I, um, I wanted to stick with it. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely still there. It's something that bothers me. Um, sometimes it's something that I just move through, but I guess more than being really specific about the issues, I think um, what has been really helpful for me is to always have many types of mentors. And so when I was a graduate student, um, because I was so interested in moving across disciplines and answering these questions, I'd never had any one advisor that even in the science field, you know, could advise me on all of the aspects of my work. So I always would find, you know, four or five other faculty members to kind of fill a certain academic role for me. And at the same time, some of them were women and helped, you know, fill kind of a role model need that I had to see what it looked like to be successful there. And that was helpful to see different models of that within women. And I think I've just carried that through the whole time as always having 
multiple mentors to look up to and making sure that I had um, women in those mentorship roles. Um, and then I have a lot of uh, peer mentorship where I have you know other young faculty members that we were maybe neck and neck. It's not like we're you know more senior to each other, but we're going through similar challenges. We can give each other advice um, and just be there for each other. And that has been really helpful in recognizing that if I do feel like I'm feel like facing a barrier that I'm not alone and finding some different ideas for how to move through it or you know not let it bother me or you know whatever I need need to to do. So I think a lot of it's you know relationships and and mentorship and and so that's helped me a lot. Yeah. Oh, I felt that here. <laughs> that's great. It's, it's true. Mentorship is everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you've excellently stepped into that role as a mentor to help others. And just like you said, a peer to peer, but also those beneath you. And hopefully it's having a lasting impact to those that are observing from above as well. No, oh, thank you. So I'm curious, in addition to mentorship, um, or finding a mentor, is there any other advice that you might give to a young girl who's con considering a career um, as a scientist one day? Um, I would say, you know, just let your interest guide you. Um, you never know where it's going to take you. And I've moved all around fields. I remember I was a, as a chemistry major uh, in college, I hated my first microbiology class. I just, I <laughs> hated all of it, the lab work, the class. I just, it just didn't resonate with me. And, um, you know, biochemistry, I wasn't into it. I really just liked the chemistry side of things. Didn't really like physics that much. And then when I was in grad school, I ended up actually using more physics than chemistry for the type of measurements I was making. Wow. I needed to do a lot of that. And then, you know, liked it and, and just got fascinated with the role of, of microbes and soils and soil environments. And that really became my passion. So I think, um, I've moved that way throughout topics because there are so many different topics in science that you can study. And a lot of times you're really influenced by the context that it's presented to you. And I understand that not every class that you're gonna take is going to be your favorite class. And I understand that as a student and as a professor now. Um, but I would just say to keep an open mind. And if, if you love science and are interested in a career, just let questions grab you. And then don't be afraid if it pulls you into another field that you're uncomfortable with, you don't know all the language, you know, the terminology, just if it's something that's drawing your attention, I would just say, follow it, do your best. And at some point you start, you know, grasping it and making connections that, you know, are maybe not as obvious to, to others if they, you know, didn't listen to their instincts or didn't follow those paths. So, so I think you, there's really an opportunity in just letting yourself get pulled um, in the directions that influence you and doing your best to, um, to learn. And in the end, you can do some really interesting science. And that's how I got where I am now with all the interdisciplinary work is just got comfortable in the discomfort. And um, I, I actually find that to be the most fun part now. So, you know, I feel like I myself, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going. Um, I changed majors quite a bit throughout undergrad, pursued something different for grad school. And I think it's just a never ending process of following what interests you and, um, you know, just seeing where those paths lead. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it, it takes some practice to kind of package it or communicate what you are and what your vision is. But um, that's a great place to have mentors and other people 
you know, give you feedback or, you know, just if there are speaking opportunities, you know, opportunities to present or write, you know, take them and it'll help you articulate. Um, also apply for jobs, even if you don't necessarily, you know, often women don't feel like they're qualified, but just apply and in the process of applying, you'll articulate, you know, who you are, what you do and, and that practice alone is really valuable. Um, so yeah, I think putting yourself out there and um, making that type of effort will really pay off. But yeah, it, it, it's, it doesn't always, it's not always 2020. It's, <laughs> you don't always, yeah, there's a lot of periods where, um, yeah, where you, you can be unsure and you're on the path, you're not at the end of the path, but then sometimes it seems to gel. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Meredith. I It's been wonderful to work with you through the years with Keys. Um, and it's really great to sit down with you virtually um, <laughs> to hear more about your trajectory, where you come from, where your passions stem from, and the advice you have for others. So thank you so much for joining us. And again, congratulations on your NSF Career Award. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And it's great to be a part of IO5. And I love working with the Keys interns. It's so much fun. So thanks for running such a great program and <laughs> excited for this summer. So um, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Science Talks. Uh, for more information, you can check us out at our website. And from all of us at BioFive 5 Institute, we'll see you at the next episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm. To our audience for tuning in to another episode of Science Talks. Continue the conversation with us next time as we learn more about the science happening at the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute.